Small town week, Jen. Small town is a weird thing for us to do. We don't know anything about small towns. Well, we know about small town and romance, and that's what counts, Sarah. <laughs> it's true. Um, oh, welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels. I read romance novels. And I am Jennifer Prokop, and I read romance novels and talk about them on Twitter. A lot. A lot. Fine. You too know much. what? No, 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 no. There's never too much. <laughs> Last week, someone tweeted and was like, we loved your sports rant, Sarah. Can more people, can you have more rant? Can you rant more? Yeah, and I was like, more. you haven't seen our text messages, you guys. <laughs> Which is probably a good thing. <laughs> But, okay, it's small town week, and you've got two city girls coming to you from <laughs> from our um, very urban centers uh, talking about uh, small town and small town idol and why we love small towns so much in romance. Well, because you know what? Okay, remember Cheers, the theme show, the theme show from the theme song? I can make words, I promise. From Cheers, right? Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Yeah. I think that's the key to small town romance is it's both the promise of it is that it's people who really know you. But that's also it's like the greatest part about it is also the downside, right? Because the people that have known you, they maybe think they know you and they don't or they've known you forever and you've changed. And so the I think one of the built in tensions of small town romance is um, is how to navigate like the other people in the world who have an opinion about what's going on, as opposed to like really what could be the anonymity of a city. Um, in it, like right, like that sort of sense of like other people being bystanders or watchers is really kind of gone. I think in like city romances. Yeah. No, I think that's true, and I think also there is a very real sense of not being able to hide. In a small yes. town, right? So, and I think that's very much about identity. And maybe this is, it's a good, it's a good thing that we're talking about this in relationship to McGreeve, you know, right next yeah. door to McGreeve, because it feels to me like all of romance, McCre- what McGreeve sort of taught me is this idea that all of romance is really about personal identity and our relationship with, with ourselves, our relationship with our partners and our relationship with the world around us and small town um, elevates that world to a sort of a fever pitch. You cannot yeah. exist on an island in a small town. Everyone no. knows your business. Right. And it is interesting because I think we joke that it's so foreign, a concept for us as as city people, but the reality is like all cities are small towns too. Yeah, and I feel like that's something that people don't really know because it just seems so daunting. But you know, like I tell this story about like when our son was little, we would like in the summer, we'd like ride our bikes up to 57th Street Books and look at books. And then we'd go three storefronts down and get ice cream and, you know, ride our bikes back home. I mean, and it's really idyllic in some ways. And I, and, you know, even um, like I tell this hilarious story of where right across uh, the street from my my school, there's like one of these UPS mailbox places where I have like an account like, right? Like, who has, I mean, there's, a, like, a, the grocery store next door to school. You can have, like, a store account. 
And it's mm-hmm. so like old school hilarious where like I'll yeah. walk into the post office place and like give them some item with like a post-it note on it. <laughs> yeah. And and they'll like charge it to my account and it gets where it needs to go. And so, you know, that that part, like sort of the the ease with which you can move through the world, I think is really coded into small town romances. And it's it's something really appealing. And it's but it's also you know, the, everybody meeting on, like, the town square. Sure. Which is, frankly, the genesis of the small... My, in my opinion, yeah. the small town contemporary romance is a direct descendant of the Regency novel. Okay. The signet... What we thought of... What we think of as the signet Regency. So in historicals, right, like, technically, I... Everybody likes to say I write Regencies. I don't. I write pre-Victorians. Um, but, you know... That's just me being nerdy. (laughs) You know I love it, Sarah. (laughs) The Regency is a very specific period of time during history with Sarah. The Regency (laughs) is a very particular period of time during which the madness of King George III was for real. Yeah. And he couldn't rule. So they asked his eldest son, who would become George IV, to basically rule in his stead, to rule as a regent. Okay, I like literally never knew that. That's amazing. Oh, well, I'm so happy we could get there together. Perfect. So technically, the years of the Regency are very sort of specific. However, once the reg- the Prince Regent becomes George IV, and then after that, there's sort of like a bunch of people no one cares about running the show <laughs> until Queen Victoria arrives on the scene. And so those sort of in those interstitial years, if you will, are often sort of Lovely. bumped down into the Regency. And basically, like, Regencies mean a very specific thing to a romance reader, right? Like, there's a pretty dress and there's probably a ball and there's probably, like, a country – there may be a country square. There's probably a Darcy-esque figure. So, like, you can draw a very straight line from Jane Austen, right? Right. Who was a contemporary romance novelist, it's important to note. Um, writing about kind of small Surrey towns. Like I think about that moment in Emma where Emma meets um, the vicar's sort of awful wife and she says, oh, I've never been to Surrey because why would I ever come to Surrey? It's town. It's, you know, my town is better. And Emma says, well, we are quiet people. But of course they're not quiet people. That's what Austin is trying to say. And that's all Austin ever does is like kind of, joke about she pokes fun at these small towns where everyone knows who's dancing with everyone on Saturday night at the like cotillion everyone knows who saw who and who looked at who and who waved their fan at who in the town square and who rode out with who you know and so and every everything was under a microscope yeah all all action was under a microscope and so and and there was always there was like the lady, the old lady who saw everything, who like had a lot of money and like no one really liked her, but she was invited to everything anyway. And she was a horrible gossip. And like right. the guy who has a lot of money and has absolutely no tact. No one really likes him, but he has a lot of money. So you can't, you know, you have to have <laughs> him in the room. Like these kinds of things are very, they're oh, bedrock yeah. in, in Austin, which was contemporary novels. In Regencies, Hayer's Regencies, like, Hayer loves this business. Like, she's obsessed with these, like, conversations on the sidelines and all this sort of whispering gossip back and forth and how everyone knows everyone else's business. And then um, now 
small towns. And what's interesting about this is that one of the other reasons why I think small towns kind of instantly are drawn, like you can draw a very sort of clear dark line on the family tree from Austin through Hare to small towns, is that um, it's sort of, uh, you know this, Jen, but yeah. other people don't, but I've been asked to write a, a thing about about Hare and as sort of a, the grandmother of the genre. And I am very happy to do it because... I do believe that, like, the bones of the genre are all in those hair, hair books, but it's irresponsible for us to have this conversation without talking about – to talk at all about hair without talking about the fact that, like, the world she invented is still the world that Regency writers write in mostly. Yeah. And it's super white and it's super straight and it's, um, you know, very, it's anti-Semitic. The Grand Sophie is, a, is often republished without chapters, with chapters redacted. Yeah. Um, Hayer invented this sort of rarefied, white, cisgendered, straight community, Christian community that didn't exist. Like when you start to look at the actual data, it doesn't exist in historicals. Right. Um, and it doesn't exist in small towns in America either. Right. Well, and that's the part that I I find really interesting about the small town romances that I enjoy the the, the most are the ones that show... So there's this thing. So I, I've lived a lot of places in my life, right? I grew up in Cleveland, which I think most people will, will say is is not, like, known for its coolness. What hot spots got the hippest groove? Cleveland. Where all the real gone daddies move? Cleveland. Dig right. that sweet Cuyahoga glow. It smells so good. Cleveland. Wait, there's a TV show, Cleveland Rocks. Wait, what is that? Drew... Drew Barrymore, <laughs> Carrie, not yes, Drew Barrymore. Cle- Cleveland, <laughs> Cleveland does rock, but it's also known for you know people still make jokes about like the river being on fire, and that happened like you know fifty oh, years ago. You're the one with the river on fire. See, but oh, I knew that. Well, or but I think what's interesting is like I also lived in San Francisco, right, which is a place kind of universally like th- thought of as being really awesome. And what Kelly says is that cool people are everywhere, right? And I think that one of the reasons that when small town romances are really like working for me, it's because I think um, the like the hustle and the bustle and the expense maybe of living in the city can really um, like squash like, I don't know, like sometimes idyllically I think like, oh, if I lived in a smaller town, maybe I would have more time, right? Maybe I would have more space. Maybe I would have, like it'd be more expansive. And I think like the best small town romances should be expansive and not like contracting, right? And and some, there, there's definitely like are lots of small town romances that I don't really think we're going to talk about that are like really direct descendants from hairs white straight you know like sort of homogeneous maybe right yeah a that's good a great like, word yeah like to right describe them because in real life that's not how small town romances are and i although i'm i have a lot of strong opinions about what makes them appealing in romance i also think it makes me sound mean and like an asshole so it's like not worth it to go there i'm more interested in us talking about small town romances that are like really expansive about the people in this town really know you and love you. And so there's this way for you to 
be who you are there. Well, that's the whole thing, right? We've talked before about how much I love a found family in mm-hmm. a romance novel. Like this idea that, um, you know, my my parents are European, my my dad's Italian, and my mom's English. And when they moved to America, they moved by themselves. They we have no extended family at all in the continental, you know, in the fifty United States or even North America period. Um, and so my mom. Acknowledging the fact that in the 1960s and 70s, it was going to be very hard for us to get back to family on the regular. Um, She built us a family. And like the thing she coded into us constantly was your friends are the family you choose. And that's probably why found families are so my id. But also there's something about a small town that is about that found family is what you're saying is everybody in town knows your business, but everybody in town loves you too, right? It's like you you can talk about my sister. Nobody talks about my sister but me, right? Yeah, right. And like, and that's how small towns feel. Like nobody talks about our neighbors but us. So there's that, um, you know, Chekhov or Tolstoy, a Russian, <laughs> said at some point, you know, there are two. There are only two stories ever told. Like man goes on a journey or stranger comes to town. Yeah. And this goes back to that sort of identity question, which is every small town romance feels a little bit like stranger comes to town, even, even if, if you grew up there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Because. This, I think the other promise of the small town, and this is very different from the city, is that it feels um, like unchanging, right? Like people go back and, you know, such and such family still living in that same house. And, you know, that diner's been there forever. And, and that's mm-hmm. not, I mean, city living is like an exercise in like daily change. You know, not just like the people around you, right? Like I drive to work every day and leave my house at the same time and never once have I seen the same car on the road. How is that possible? Well, because I live in a city of two million people. Well, there's this great piece. Colson Whitehead after 9-11. I know. He's so great. He's so great. I met Colson Whitehead a million years ago. I worked in publishing. I worked for this like boutique PR firm. And he won something called a Whiting Award. Mm -hmm. And I was like the 12-year-old who they put on the (laughs) the account to like literally I hand wrote the invitations to the Whiting Awards. Like that was part of my job. I got paid like three dollars and that's what i did in my office for a long time <laughs> um anyway colson white had won a whiting award and this tells you how ancient i am because um he's been writing for a while and he's been a superstar for a while and the whiting award is only given to brand new sort of unsung yeah unheard of authors anyway at the time it was 2001 and it was right after 9 11 And the New York Times asked a collection of young essayists, maybe old essayists too, (laughs) to um, write write essays on New York City. And I give – I often give the Colson Whitehead essay to new New Yorkers because one of the things that he talks about is that cities are so – they're they're living creatures, right? They're constantly changing. And so – everybody's experience my new york is not the same new york as my husband or my daughter or my mom yeah. or my dad right like yeah. i lived here during during 9/11 and mm. eric didn't yeah and so when i look at the skyline there's something missing yeah. i can see where the twin towers were and they're not there anymore right and when eric looks at the skyline 
he just sees the Freedom Tower. Like, he doesn't know. He doesn't know what's missing because yeah. his New York is, is totally different than mine. Yeah. And what's really fascinating about this is that sense of, like, city and lo- – not city, but hometown as identity, right? Right. And when you get right. – and when you – you're absolutely right. You know, I go home. I'm from Rhode Island. I'm from a, a small town called Lincoln in Rhode Island, although not that small, according to Twitter. Um, like, I went home – Two weeks ago for Easter, and my mom was, and I was driving down like the you know main street, which is nothing. It's like a CVS and a gas station and a drugstore. And the drugstore has they they tore down the drugstore and they put up this like palace of a drugstore. And I was like, oh! And I walked <laughs> into my mom's house, and my mom goes, "Did you see the drugstore? Like it had like yeah, it was a revolutionary change." <laughs> Because it was. That drugstore had been there for 40 years. Yeah. And now. Right. So, I mean, I think that's it. Like, the landscape of the small town, the promise of it is that it doesn't change that much. Right? Sure. And But the people in it are are the same. And I think. Well, that's why. Yeah, that's interesting. Stranger Comes to Town is so world-ending for a small town romance. Right? It's You think about, um, you know, any one of those old regencies where, like, a handsome unknown man with 10,000 pounds a year right right, turns up and like everything's set on fire yeah um it's because he's basically a new cumberland farms (laughs) well and i i think that i mean of course like this is the trope like in real life well the other thing i think is interesting about romance is that it's either small town or big city but it's never the suburbs even though so much of America is suburban. And I think because because it's like the, the you know, setting means something, right? Setting well, what is do you important. do in the suburbs? Like, where do you go? Yeah. Who, like, is there a fantasy to falling in love at the mall? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Think, I think what it is is it's the... In YA. In the YA it is, right? But I think what it is is it's the suburbs have the kind of anonymity that the city has, but not the charm of the small town or like the excitement of the big city. Like it's sort of too generic as a setting to have it really like mean something in a romance. Right. And so therefore it either just fades away or right. Like you make this other choice. Well, and also a small town is a small town romance is like writing a play. Yeah. Right. Like you can literally put everybody on stage all at once. Sure. The vet and the cupcake baker and the bookstore owner are all in line at the bank. Right. And the guy who runs and the bank teller is like the police chief's wife. Yeah. You know, right. and so there's it's just there's a constant sense of right. At any point you're going to see somebody you know. You know, I think about um all the all the big small town series, the Robin Carr and Marie Force and Debbie Maycomer. I mean, Debbie Maycomer has spent so much time building out her series that she hosts a reader conference a reader carnival there in the town yeah you know out in the pacific northwest every year Mm -hmm. because people want the experience they want to feel yeah like they're in they're in the place you know well nora there's the boonesboro series oh yeah literally nora roberts Boonesboro, Maryland is where she lives. It's where she owns, she owns the hotel. She owns the bookstore. Like, right. you can go to Boonesboro and experience the Nora Roberts Boonesboro of the books. Yeah. 
And maybe fall in love with the guy who, you know, owns the pizza place. Obviously. Well, and like fair, I think of Fair Roshan as having really interesting, like, and often the small town romance in that case, it's really built on like the families, right? So the way like a big family full of like siblings, then like both expands the limits of the small town, like they're falling in love and they're adding new people and it's the literal lifeblood of the town, right? Mm. That that mm-hmm. we sort of see because as people in the town are like like building partnerships and families, like we see the future of that town, right? And yeah. I don't. This town is never going to get consumed by a Walmart, right? Like this main street will live forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe it. I mean, I hate the term economic anxiety in twenty nineteen, but like. Maybe that's a piece of it, right? That sort of sense of, like, the jobs are going and yeah, Walmart is taking over these towns. Like, it's oh, a yeah. lot harder yeah, to, to find a main street. Well, But it's not hard in books. Yeah. And I think that that's something, at least in my books, that it will be really interesting. But I think one of the things we talk a lot about is, like, the beats, right? Like, how romance hits certain beats. And I know the first book you want to talk about mm, is, like, not a classic small-town romance, but it is in the way that it's it hits so those beats. It's so classic, though. So I want to talk about Sierra Simone's Misadventures of a Curvy Girl. And first, I want to give a shout-out. So you all, Sierra joined us last week um, to talk about McCreeve. And... It's no surprise. It will come as no surprise to anybody that I think this actually might be the first author who I've recommended twice on an interest over interstitials. Um, And part of the reason why I'm doing that is because I think I really think Sierra is one of those writers who is writing just at the top of all of our games. Like, I think she is fearless as a writer. And what I love about what she's is doing is taking kind of classic subgenres of romance and just like flipping them over. Yeah. And pre- and re- re-delivering them. So when, what I'm talking about is, for example, I've said this before on the podcast and in, in basically anywhere anybody has ever t- heard me talk for the last five years. But I think Priest and um, Midnight Mass and Sinner, which is the trilogy or the 2.5 a G of, <laughs> of her, you know, Priest series, is – one of the very best inspirational romances ever written. And the reason why I feel that way is because um, an inspirational has a very clear set of rules. And one of those rules, that the sort of only rule is that it's a love story between three entities. It's the hero, the heroine, and God in yeah. the case of these books, right? And so what ends up happening in this book is there's a moment, and it's incredibly blasphemous, and we're all friends here by now, um, but the, her- the hero <laughs> and the heroine the hero is a frocked priest, a flocked priest, and a frocked priest. priest. <laughs> like flock. Um, that's a Christmas tree. Well, he has a flock. Um, and so he is uh, he anoints the heroine with oil on her bottom, and then they do it on the altar in the bottom. And when they do this <laughs> I can't even look at you right now. Okay, it's fine. And when they when they do this, he's you're in his POV, it's first person male POV, and he thinks to himself like this, he is a priest and like in not he he is married to God. Um and he thinks in that moment like this is the closest to God I've ever been. This is the holiest this moment has ever been. And I have ever felt in this place at this per- at this place. You, Jen's making her face in me. I'm like, because you said but, holy. 
Sorry, everybody. Jen. Oh, yeah. I'm the bad one in this scenario. I'm the bad one. I was tastefully describing a very tasteful blasphemy, and you took it to a different place. Always. I'm always going to take it right there. Anyway, so that's Priest, and let's set that aside, because I want to talk about what she's just done to Small Town Romances. So Misadventures of a Curvy Girl is about, um, is set in... The Heartland. Yeah. Sierra is from Kansas. She lives in Kansas. She loves Kansas. Um, it is sent it is set in farm country in Kansas. And um the heroine is a is a fat character who has uh, is very experienced in marketing. She's a social ge- media genius and she is given basically a job to go off into the heartland and take a bunch of pictures for like a visit Kansas like tourism board whatever. So she gets the name of this town and she goes off to this town where it's like idyllic farmland like it's like a sunny time lemonade commercial. With like sunflowers and soybeans and farmers and really handsome farmers. Real handsome. <laughs> so she gets out there to the farm where she's supposed to be taking pictures of, you know, men in the fields. And she meets man who is supposed <laughs> to be in the field. And he is freaking dreamy. And yeah. And he's so instantly into her, and I love oh, that. He just loves her. He's, like, instantly into her. It's amazing. And he, because it's Sarah Simone, that's not enough. Um, no, of course not. This The farmer grew up, went to high school with um, another man who uh, became a soldier, as many, many American boys do become, um, and went off to uh, four, three or four tours in Afghanistan, comes back, has PTSD, um, and he and the two, the farmer and the soldier, um, live together. They love each other very much. They are best friends. And sometimes they bone. Yeah. And when the farmer meets the heroine of this book, he's basically like, oh, shit. And he picks up the phone and he calls his friend at work. And he says, I found her. Like, I found the woman who is going to be the third to our. He's, she's going to complete us. Yeah. And it is Hot. bananas sexy. Yeah, like, that scene in the barn. I mean, I know I know last week we were like the barn, the barn, the barn, but I'm doing it again. Fine. Yeah, the scene in the barn is real great. And then what's really fascinating though, Jen, is you what you talked about is this sense of like the promise of the premise of a small town is that everyone in this town is going to ultimately accept love you. you and accept you for who you are. Yeah. Warts and all. Not that, you know, this is a wart, but the reality is that like every person in this town loves loves them and and wants them to be happy and knows right like that I can't remember the soldier's name. Pete, maybe? I might be making that up. But like I, honestly, I can't remember either. Yeah, like that knows up. that he's sort of tortured by what he's been through and wants him to I mean, and that's the part like it's really moving, right? Like that they the town wants wholeness for them for that right? right like the townspeople yeah. right but then on top of it what i love is there so there's i love this new movement that we have in romance toward just like writing acceptance into the books and like not fucking dealing with it anymore yeah like i'm tired of the 
I'm tired of the storylines where it's like the whole conflict is like, well, they're in a menage and what if everyone hates them, right? Yeah, right. At one point, she, the heroine says, Ireland is the name of the heroine, and, and she says like, well, isn't everyone in the whole town going to be like, yeah, hey, us. what's the deal with the three of you? And the response is, well, no, because a while back there was like on the other side of town, an older couple had a third and like, you know, it was a threesome out there, a polyamorous relationship out there, and everybody's fine with it, so we're fine over here. Like, this is, like, the pocket of the heartland where, like, Maynash is totally fine. Maynash <laughs> um, County, but, Kansas. It's famous. <laughs> Maynash County, Kansas. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and then can I just say, like, on a personal level, like, as a fat girl, like, as a girl who, like, has struggled with body image her whole life – Ireland yeah. is so relatable. Oh, yeah, um, me too. Especially because, again, like, it's sort of in that in 2019 where we're all supposed to be cool with our bodies, right? Like, yeah, you know, there's that, like, kind of push to, like, you want to have a swimsuit body? Like, wear a swimsuit. And then, look, congratulations. Yeah. Like, I love that. And I want so much to live in that myself. And I try really hard to live in that. I have a daughter. Yeah. Like, I try really hard to do it. Yeah. But, like, it's hard it's sometimes. Hard. And Ireland tries really hard, too, and sometimes it's hard for her. And this isn't about, like, her dis- her thinking she's unattractive and then, like, having to see herself through Ben and Caleb's eyes. This is her thinking that she – like, this is her, like, actively working. She is the proactive one, like, trying to work to appreciate her body and what it can do and what it is and who she is. And Caleb and Ben just happen to be in love with her, too. Um, Before we move on, I also, like, want to give a shout out to, like, I, I'm not a huge, like, note taker in books. It's not something that I always, like, mark, you know, kind of quotes or whatever. But this this book had a, um, and of course I like can't find it right now, which is really annoying me, but this, um, this part where she's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And, and, and they talk about like one of them observes, like he'd been in like essentially polyamorous relationships for years and he knew a hard limit when he'd heard it. And I remember thinking like, it was such an amazing line to me because Often when we talk about limits, we're talking about like your sexual limits, but Mm -hmm. in relationships, you also need to have people that respect your emotional limits. Yeah. And I thought that that's what this book was so beautiful at doing was really like, and, and that's actually maybe a really good pivot to talking about like my next book, which has a similar setup, um, but it's, but kind of the reason I like it is really different and it's called, it's called Three Way Split by Elia Winters. I think I'm saying her, her name right. You love Elia Winters. Oh my God. I'm like to you the point where I'm her. like, I, I do. I'm like, Elia Winters, where have you been all my life? Why, why didn't I know about you? But you know what? It's also a bright side. It was a read a book I read. This was a read a finalist this year. And I also, I'm going to like squeak in talking about her second book in the series, which comes out May 20th, which will probably be close to when this gets released. Which I just downloaded. So I'm excited because I've yeah. never read an Elia Winters book. Well, and I'm super excited. let me tell you, I think erotic romance is can be real tricky because it's it's very easy to have it, you know, like there's sort of that classic definition of 
you know, like the sex really develops the relationship, but we still need to see that emotional connection. And we saw it in Emic Reeve. We saw it in Misadventures of a Curvy Girl. And I think Elia Winters is doing a really amazing work with it. And and in this book, which the small town in three-way split, and then the the one that's coming up is called Just Past Two, is, is Mapleton, Massachusetts. And it's like a made-up town. Um, and in Three-Way Split, we have, it starts off with Hannah Stewart as our heroine. She owns a sex shop in town, but it's like struggling, right? Like she's at the, a couple year mark where she was like kind of really hoping to like make it, you know, like have the, the shop be successful. But it it's just like she can't quite make it it happen and it turns out that she's renting on main street but it's really expensive but she's had this crush on like local restaurant owner mitchell fredericks and like i love the name mitchell i know and they've been like flirting but he's like a little reticent and it's really hard to tell what's going on and then mitchell is roommates with this guy named ben and it turns out that mitchell and ben have been essentially like roommates for six or seven years and like like on again, off again lovers for five or six years where they they get together, but it's not they can't admit they have feelings for each other. But when Hannah like enters friends with benefits. Yeah, exactly. But when Hannah okay. enters and they have some smoking hot sex, the, like first her with Ben and then her with Mitchell and then the three of them, um, that somehow this cracks open this ability for them to talk to each other. And to really, like, figure out what Ben and Mitchell mean to each other. Now, all of that being said, though, that's not why I picked it as a small town romance. What (laughs) I loved, I was like, that's all great. But what I loved about this book was the look at, like, owning one of those small town shops. Mm -hmm. Because there's, like, a chamber of commerce. (laughs) Like there's like a huge plot of this book circles around the Chamber of Commerce wanting to hold like essentially like a fall night fair where all the local businesses have a booth. And, you know, Hannah's like, can I afford to have a booth? And she ends up pairing with Mitchell and Ben own this restaurant together and doing sort of like a bruise and sex toys kind of booth. And Mm. right, like it's almost like these funny pairings, like with this glass of wine, you could use this vibrator. But (laughs) uh, it's really, it's so cute. But her... The sort, I mean, that's something I really struggle with when I read small town romances is I'm like, how, okay, I buy. What does everybody do? Yeah. And look, I buy $5 cupcakes, right? I do. I, I bought a $5 cupcake in this city, but like, can a small town really sustain a cupcake shop like that? Right? Like, how is, how is that working? <laughs> well, this book. <laughs> I think what this book does so brilliantly is really like dig into that, right? And yeah. her feeling that like the town accepts her shop, but only so far. And mm. you know what I mean? And I just, I think that that's the part that's really interesting is, and in the second book, which is called Just Past Two, and it comes out May 20th, it's a couple who essentially they go back to her high school, her college reunion. And he discovers that she has had this real wild past and they actually inadvertently, um, they're like inadvertent voyeurs. Like they, uh, like a couple comes out and oh, has- Oh, love that. I so love that. And they have- That's your id. Oh yeah. And they have sex right in front of them and it just turns the two of them on so much and they go off onto this journey of like self-discovery 10 years into- what seems like a happy, but maybe a little bit of a boring marriage. Sure. And a big part of that too is like, 
we didn't know that people in Mapleton were doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's that's, awesome. that's the part I love about a small town is you think you know everybody, but do you? Yeah. That's really nice. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, that's really great. So my um, second book is actually also, it's similar in the sense that, so Vanessa North, um, I, I toyed with doing this for our sports episode too. The, is the it series. Roller Girl? It's Roller Girl. I love this um, book. I mean, you know I love Roller Girl. I've, I mean, I've loved Roller Girl from the moment it came out. But um, so Vanessa North has this small town series called Lake Lovelace and it's in classic Vanessa form like it's not just small town it's also small town and sports Mm -hmm. um the first book in the series um is about a wakeboarder I mean it's also like it it's so great because it's also just like weird sports I mean right I'm no no that is like I said with love and not judgment um but the um what's interesting is I have this like the first book is is double up and it's mm-hmm. called, and it's about a wakeboarder, um, and then the next, and and like a another a person who wants to learn to wakeboard, and then there's Rough Road, which is um, so Lake Lovelace is on this kind of idyllic lake, <laughs> um, and each of the books um, follow. It's a each of the, it's a queer series, it's a queer romance series. So the first one is male male, and the second one is f- first one you'll you would love. It's male male wakeboarding age difference yeah nice the second one is rough road um the here and it's male male and one of them is um like there's a car accident at the beginning and like one of the and like this very rich sort of like the rich guy who doesn't have to have a job he's so rich kind of yeah drives off the road and then a guy who's working on the side of the like who's he's like a road worker yeah goes and saves him and they are also i want to say age difference but it's class difference and like classic vanessa fashion like she sort of explores all of that yeah and they also have a um a kind of bdsme kink like they they're Mm -hmm. they like they're into rough sex and then roller girl which is such a great book about female relationships oh so the, yeah it's so good heroine, it's all it's it's female female and and all of it it's just magnificent the heroine tina um kind of it it is a little stranger comes to town he she um tina had has come from um they've lived in this this town but not very much and she um is trans and has just transitioned so she was married um and she decide she you know she is trans she just she and she decides she's going to um go through her transition and she tells her wife and um goes off to sort of find a new community of people. Yeah. Um, and what's fascinating is that she's in the prior book and she goes into the wakeboarding shop and the wakeboarding community, all the guys from the prior book are like, they kind of know. Yeah. They're like, like, there's a moment in this book where um, Vanessa writes, you know, in Tina's POV, like, they they all kind of understood what was happening to me before I did and before I had, like, really told any of my actual family. Yeah. And the reason why I'm saying all this is because it, it goes back to that sort of found family, like, community becoming family, community acceptance, community love. The entire arc of the story of Roller Girl is – there's so many little mini plots of Roller Girl that are about community Community, love. absolutely. Um, 
And the whole book is about female relationships. So what's great is, so Tina is now living in the house where she and her wife, her now ex-wife, did live. Um, and they are not together anymore. And it begins with, like, the dishwasher breaking down or the washing machine. Something, something breaks some down. Some plumbing thing, right? And she's like, oh, fuck. I've never had to deal with any of this because Lisa, her ex-wife, always dealt right. with it. And so Lisa, so she calls Lisa and is like, what do I do? And Lisa was like, call you a plumber. call a plumber, you dingling. <laughs> <laughs> and what oh, and I should also say, one of the things that I love the most about this book is that Lisa is super, is just great. Like, oh, yeah, she's right. She's an ex-wife who's not evil or bad or yeah, mean in exactly. any way. Like, she's not jealous. She just is a cool person who's like, I just want you to be happy. Right. Um, so she's like, call a plumber. So she calls Joe Delario's <laughs> plumber service. Thinking Joe is going to turn up. There's there are all these like kind of like little winks, right? Yeah. Thinking Joe is going to turn up and it's going to be you know Joe Delario <laughs> like butt crack hanging out, and it's Joanne Delario who shows up who is banging hot. Yeah, and so and competent, right? Like the confidence <sighs> porn is big oh time, God. right? She comes in, she's like, "I'm going to fix your business." I mean, all of your business. Yeah, like, I'm gonna fix your broken dishwasher and whatever else is going on with you that you had to call your ex-wife because you don't know plumbers exist. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna fix all of it. Oh, and by the way, I'm the captain of a roller girl, a roller derby team. Yes, and you're super sporty. Um, Tina used to be a wakeboarder and right. is no longer. So she's like, "Come be on roller derby." Yeah, and. What ensues is this, like, wonderful romance about two women who love roller derby and each other. And it's also, there's, like, this, like, the conflict of it is, well, Joe is the captain of the team and Tina's new. And, like, is it, like, I think it's, like, so taboo light. Yeah. There is this sort of, like, well, can they really be together because one's the captain and one's new? But, like... It's right. Sierra Simone would roll her eyes. They would ro- roll out of her head if she heard me refer to this as taboo. Like, but it is the conflict because it also like sure. there's this family of women. Yes. The whole team yes. has a specific dynamic. And now what happens when there's a relationship yeah. internal to the team? And I think that there's definitely Tina's fears about being accepted as a trans woman. And her journey into, I, I remember very vividly, like, like a really poignant moment where Lisa sort of, like, explains to Tina that, like, is like, like, all, wem- all women fear violence from men, right? And, and for Tina to be learning this, it, where, like, most women learn it when they're teenagers right yeah and and i think so that's part of that i think it's like really sensitively done it's not the main conflict but it's i think it's no in fact it's yeah it's not it's a non it's not a conflict it's a yeah everybody on the team to joe it's a non right but i think it's it's like tina's journey and but i think one of the other parts of tina's journey that's is like there's this whole part about like learning to skate and being able to, like, write, like, there's a whole thing you have to, there's all these, like, tasks you have to be able to do. And, and it's, they all have nicknames. Yes. Roller Derby. Yeah. Really. It's, it's great. I'm, I'm, you can, I hope you can hear, like, how delighted I am by this book. It's This so, was a book I read with a smile on my face. Yeah. Right? I went to Smith 
And like this felt like going back to Smith in some ways. Like it felt like, you know, there's just like a group of women who like both love and hate each other. But like, again, no one talks about my sister. Like, yeah, right. Exactly. Um, So it's and it was it's harnessed. It was sort of the perfect all that drama that comes with being in a community of women. Right. Um, but also all the like love and joy and partnership. And support. And the like, you can do it. Like the first time Tina does some, and I feel like what I want to describe, it's like you have to be able to like jump and skate at the same time or something, right? It's like the first time she does it, it's like everyone is so excited for her because she did it. And I, <laughs> it's so and cute. I, it, right. And it's at the same, and I loved it. I did. I like, this is a book that made me feel giddy. Like it just, there was yeah. so much joy in it. And I, yeah. and I think that was part of it. It was like the roller derby stuff was yeah. just so great. It was, amazing. I like the whole series, but this is my favorite. It's my favorite Vanessa North book for sure. Um, I just think it's delightful. And also, I just think it's a perfect small town romance because it is talk about like a ballroom full of people yeah. who are gossipy and like now, and watching everything. Yeah. You know who you can't hide a relationship from? <laughs> 30 women. On your roller derby team. <laughs> I know. Oh, Kelly, Kelly loves skating. And every Halloween, her her Halloween costume involves skates. So she's mm, been like oh. hell on wheels and right yeah, because nice. like she's like I get to wear roller skates to work like my you know it's awesome. and I was like yeah it's pretty amazing so that's a really good one. Okay, well let me do my last one which I oh, I really struggled with this one only cuz I feel like everyone's read it. But then again I'm like maybe you haven't or you need to be convinced but it's or it's on your TBR. Yeah, it's on your TBR and you haven't moved it up and it's Alicia Rise Forbidden Heart series which mm-hmm. I think again is being a really classic small town romance but with the twist of the the feud, right? That you have feuding families. And there are three books in the series, Hate to Want You, Wrong to Need You, and Hurts to Love You. I had to write those down because I always get them wrong. I'm like, wrong to want you, hurts to need you. And she's like, like, we're not great at titles. That's fine. We have a lot of, we're fun in other ways. We all know this. Um, the And I like them all. And I think, so the feuding part is essentially that in this small town, um, you have the Chandlers and the Canes. And the generation, the parents essentially of the main characters, because it's, you know, a cane and a Chandler kind of getting together. Um, it Essentially, there was, uh, well, the, the big thing is like something went down and one side of one of the families like swindled the other one out of their yeah, shared it's a business. little montagues and capulets oh big time hatfields and mccoys for sure and mm-hmm. i and i think then it's interesting because again the thing about a small town is those um memories are really long right and so that's one thing i really liked about this book and that's- i'm really a great point yeah Yeah. right there's no way to i mean it like i don't remember anything in chicago right like it's it doesn't have that same weight necessarily but in a small town the the those memories everyone has a part of that story everyone was there to see it happen everyone thinks they know something and i think Mm -hmm. that this these books really brilliantly play with it and my favorite of the series is actually book number two although 
you just have to read them all. And so I'm going to talk about book number two, but you have to read number one. And it, the book number two is called Wrong to Need You. And it's, it's Stranger Comes to Town. And it's about Jackson Kane, who left town 10 years earlier. And everyone knows, everyone knows that he committed an act of arson. And like, like they had to cover it up and he fled town. And he is finally coming back. And he, and what happens is he falls in love. His brother, Paul, has died. And he falls in love with Paul's widow. Oh, I love a widow story. <laughs> yes. I love a widow story. And she is so... And so in the other part... Okay, we talked about businesses. Like, this book really has it all to me. She is essentially keeping their family business alive, which is this small diner. But she hates it. She hates... The diner, she's not a very good cook. It's just the thing that she has to do. She has a side gig as a bartender, and she really likes that. She likes the small tuck. She likes mixing drinks. She's also um, openly bisexual, and, like, it's a way for her to, like, sort of meet those needs, right? So when she works the bar, if, if someone, a man or a woman, catches her eye, she might take them home. And one night someone catches her eye, and she approaches them at the table, and it's Jackson. And so Mm -hmm. this whole, like, and she had never seen him that way before, but seeing him again after all these years, right? And it really, like, puts this, like, you know, it's like all of a sudden, and of course, I mean, it's her husband's brother, and she has a large extended family, a family of, of siblings who don't approve of her, like, they're all doctors or something. And so it's also about, like, the weight of your family's expectations, and I mean, I just think it hits every single one of those like small town tropes, which mm-hmm. is that Jackson never wanted to come back, but Sadia feels like there's no way out. And yeah. and then, boom, you put them in the town together and it's like a crucible and it's like, what's going to happen? Yeah. And I think it's just really, um, it's really good. And often a second book in a series is like a, like a turning point, right? And I think that this book really... Um, like holds is like the glue that holds this series together in some ways because it's resolving some of the things from book one and setting up things in book three but it itself is such a look at like the town itself and the whole idea of like we thought we knew something but but maybe we didn't right that you could still have secrets it's really interesting because you know we talk so much about about Cressley in the IAD episodes leveling up. And I think um, if you haven't read this series, but you have read other Alicia books, you will find that what is happening here is a leveling up of sorts in terms of the scope of the stories that she's telling. This is, it's three books that are, you don't have to read them all together to get the whole story. But one when you do read them all together, what you're actually seeing is almost like a saga of sorts. Oh, you I think so for it's sure. It's very sort of in the vein of Danielle Steele. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a real sense here that what, what Alicia is trying to do is build a family that could conceivably exist for generations. It's like Dallas. Yes. And that's it. Like this, I think small towns really lend themselves to that like generational saga feeling. And these Mm. and these books were like really specifically doing that. So, you know, I feel like if you're like a soap opera lover or you love like sort of those like this 
even though it's um it's really meaty yes like it's a chewy book like you're kind of famously before book three came out i had to draw myself a map of like who <laughs> was who and what was going on because as i like to say reading strategies are for everyone and (laughs) and right like we like sometimes you're not gonna get that in the front of an adult book like that's one great thing about kids books is they're gonna give you like the family tree and the map and the character chart and I actually made one and put it on Twitter because I was like look everybody you think you remember the Chandlers and the Canes but you do not remember you do not remember them (laughs) no that's really funny no I I mean I you know, it it will come as absolutely no surprise that I think I think Alicia is a tremendous writer, and so I highly recommend all of these books. I yeah. highly re- recommend all of her books. someday we'll do mythological retellings, and I'll talk about my favorite. Ooh, of hers. Yeah, Hades. Hmm. <laughs> so that's that. Small towns. Tell us your favorite small towns. Tell us what you think. And we're going to link to to Brie Bridges, who's half of Kit Roca, had an amazing <laughs> thread on Twitter once where she asked people, like, <laughs> that essentially, was like, great. what do you think a small town is? And of course, I would have been like, 75,000 people? <laughs> yeah, I think I, my, I answered it. And I was like, I don't know, 15,000 people? And she was like, and somebody else was like, 250 people. I was like, what? What What kind of a place? How do you do anything wrong in this town? (laughs) I mean, the pressure of that. I feel real overwhelmed already. My daughter, who is in the kindergarten, in kindergarten in Brooklyn, New York, her school, 125 kindergartners attend her school. So, you know, half that town is made up of kindergartners. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it's... Kind of sticky and a little smelly in that town. And everyone is crying. <laughs> oh, man. Um, That's so, yeah. not my kind of town. But you know we what? Should, we should link to that because 250 people is, is a whole lot. But today, some yeah. I, I texted Jen. I saw somebody today say that they drove to see the Avengers and they drove 200 miles round trip. Would you yeah. like to know where the movie theater is in my town? It is two blocks from my house. Yeah. Like, if I have a sitter here at 6 p.m., I could be at a 6.15 movie. Well, and I think that's the part that I will say as a city dweller, I take so many conveniences for granted. Just for granted. Yeah. And Well, we were doing the podcast with, (laughs) we were doing the podcast with um, Sierra. (laughs) And I texted you guys and I was like, I'm waiting for sushi. And then I like unpacked my sushi onto my desk as we were talking. And Sierra was like, what are you eating? Where did you get a sack full of sushi? You don't have that in Kansas. I don't know. Yeah. Fine. (laughs) I was like, I don't know. You got to move to New York. I don't know what to say. Yeah. But you don't get Menage County in New York. There's no. There is no Menage County. That's true. I mean, there's something out here. (laughs) Well. It's not the same. And that's the part I think actually, like, I don't know. That's the part that I think small town romances are capturing the nostalgia for a time when you could get all that. And I feel like really, realistically speaking right now, you could get it in the big city. I think you could be a hermit in a big city. You would never have to leave your house. You can get everything you wanted delivered. Absolutely. 
I mean, I am not a hermit and I get everything I want delivered. Sometimes. Because I'm lazy. When I'm real lazy, I just order like cat treats and Diet Coke. Fine. Wow. Wow. No, I've never done that. It's pretty bad. That's special. Amazon Prime now. They just, they want to bring me things. Oh, no, I won't do it. (laughs) I mean, it really does feel like once you cross that line into cat treats and Diet Coke. And you're never coming back. One, there was a bakery. The best birthday cake in New York City is uh, baked by a place called Butter and Scotch over by the Brooklyn Museum. And for a little while, they delivered dummies. Their delivery (laughs) zone was so, so way too big. But they would deliver a slice of their birthday cake, like a 20 minute drive in Brooklyn to my house. That's bonkers. And then when I finished Brazen and the Beast. Out in bookstores, July thirtieth. Hmm. Um, <laughs> the um, P.S. The I I got on to the ordering system to order a birthday a slice of cake to my house, and no. they'd, they'd cottoned on to my. <laughs> to the now fact you that just I was, have to do Uber Eats. They were or something. spending more in gas <laughs> than I was in cake. Ugh, funny. So, but butter and scotch, very delicious. I'll put it in the show notes. When you all come for RWA, if you come for RWA, trek out to butter and scotch out by the Brooklyn Museum. It's great. All right. Small and town tell them people. that they should increase their delivery zone back to my apartment. You know what? Here's the important thing. If you live in a small town and we got it wrong, I think the thing tell to us. remember is tell us, but also that like, like big city romances never feel quite right and small town ro- romances probably don't either. Right. No. So it's not about reality. It's about that beautiful romantic trope tastic yeah, genius. It's about the fantasy. It's, about the, it's fantasy. about the time. Oh, you know what scene I love? We didn't talk about the scenes I love, but I love the scene where they're in the like local watering hole, the like yeah. bar. And then and like she's wearing whatever she's wearing and he comes in and she and like the air shifts in the room and she like looks across the room at him and you know it's on. It's gonna happen. And all those dudes know how to dance. What's that about? I do enjoy that. Well, I will tell you, in Elia Winters, my new hero, they go into the sex shop and she has a sex swing and they try it out. And I just want you to know I'm here for it. I was here for it. I thought you were going to say like, something completely different. No, I was seriously like, I mean, and it's great because the I think it's Ben. He's like, you've got a sex swing in here. And I was like, I just said that. <laughs> Small towns, cupcakes and sex swings. You never know. You never They're know. They're cool people right. everywhere. Um, This has been Faded Mates, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Sarah McLean. I'm Jen Prokop. And um, and you can find us online at fatedmates.net. Don't forget to look at the show notes. They're a delight. Um, be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. If you'd like to give us a review, we like good ones. And uh... <laughs> pre-order Raisin and the Beast and eat a piece of cake from your favorite local bakery on We us. give you permission. Podcast calories do not count. I've heard that. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye.